Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. This week on the show, no, it's not last week's show. It's not the one before that and the one before that, but we will be talking about floods again. This time they're in Victoria. We'll tell you what's going on and why. Now, we're also going to delve this week into one of the most fascinating disputes I've seen in a long, long time. I'm speaking about the netball team, the Diamonds, and their refusal to wear the sponsorship of Gina Reinhardt's company. We'll get there in a second. We're also going to talk about the Albanese government's commitment to join Joe Biden's methane pledge. Will we get there? And will it ruin the great Aussie barbecue as <laughs> has been threatened by the nationals? Hint, brackets, don't think so. But we'll have that chat anyway. <laughs> and look, speaking of hot topics, speaking of debates, speaking of controversies, we're going to talk about lawns. And lawns aren't just that grass out in your backyard or your front yard. They are contested spaces. And we will tell you why on the pod. And I will do all that telling and talking and chatting <laughs> with my usual co-host. That would be Elfie Scott. Oh, I should say I'm Aunt Sharwood, but I'm not as important as Elfie. How are you this week, <laughs> Elfie? That's blatantly untrue. Come on. I'm good. Thank you so much, Aunt. And you have a little bit of news this week, don't you? Because we're always trying to come up with stories from our week, which can be dreadfully boring when you're both journalists. Like, yeah, all we do is sit at our desk. I drove my children to places. Uh, yeah, my week was <laughs> thrilling, thanks. How was yours? Yeah. Uh, no, look, I'm, I'm pleased to, to say I've been longlisted uh, in the book category for the Walkley Awards. That actually technically makes me a finalist. Um, Amazing. So thank, cool. Thank you. But... You know, I went through all the entries. There's about 30 categories, and I really only counted three or four, depending on your definition, uh, environmental stories. I mean, there's a lot mm. of flood stories in there, but I wasn't counting them. I mean, stories that are actually about an environmental issue. And there's actually a bit of a rumbling that there should be a category environmental media. Um, you know, yeah, best right. green news story or Scoop, or Doco, or whatever you did of the year. Um, and the Walkleys are absolutely rejigging their categories at the moment, uh, looking towards next year. So get your act together, Walkleys. Uh, don't rely on some bloke like me writing a green-tinged book, hoping to get a nod here and there. Have a whole category <laughs> and foster and nurture and chase the greatest Australian environmental stories because, you know, they deserve their own category. Yes, 100%. I fully back that. But also, again, congratulations on the good news, Ant, because The Brumby Wars is a fantastic book. It's totally deserving of some accolades, and I hope that you end up winning. But either way, I hope you end up getting invited to the awards ceremony and, you know, having a few free wines and a good dinner on them. <laughs> it is absolutely all about the free wines. It really is. Um, That's it, yeah. Now, um, this uh, first story that I think we should dive into now is not not such a positive story again it, it is the floods um i can't believe this the state of these victorian floods i've just checked the river levels because i'm a nerd and i spend my life checking things like river levels um on the goulburn river which starts in the victorian high country and it sort of flows north through shepparton uh meeting the murray just upstream of achuka anyway the goulburn river peaked this morning uh late last night actually at 12.06 uh, meters and the old flood record in 74, when they had the great floods, was 12.09 metres. So we're within three centimetres of the biggest recorded flood on the Goulburn River. Wow. It's an absolute disaster zone. And it's it's so, uh, 
benign looking in Shepparton today, looking at sort of Instagram, um, at all the photos there, it, it, sunny skies there today, and it's going to be 25 degrees and sunny for three more days before yet more rain comes, Elfie. So sure. we, uh, we are looking at a situation where there still are, even though, as I say, blue skies, there are still 60 flood warnings or more than in Victoria um, that are in place. There are some in southern New South Wales as well, some also in Tasmania. Um, and we're speaking to a flood-affected farmer in Tassie in a few minutes here on the pod. But um, it's a bloody disaster. Um, it's it's a different sort of flooding than we get in New South Wales here, Elfie. Ours tend to happen quite quickly uh, after the rain because a lot of Western Victoria and Northern Victoria is flat. It takes a long time for the water to sort of wind its way down the rivers and get, get there. Mm. So most of this heavy rain was Thursday and Friday, and here we are three or four or five and six days later is when a lot of the worst flooding is going to occur. Yeah, anyway, sure. um, look, again, you just have to say the hand of climate is at play, don't you? Yes, 100%. And, you know, for all of those people who may be affected by the floods in the days to come, we really hope that you stay safe. And we should remind people that there are also one-off payments going for flood victims across Tasmania and Victoria. So if you have been affected by the floods, I would definitely look into that. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said. And now let's talk about the next story on our agenda, which is about netball. We haven't spoken about <laughs> netball before, I don't think. I used to play netball, and and that is really? why. Yeah, that's why my ankles are ruined and I can never long distance run again in my life. But that's fine. I'm not complaining. Were so, you good, Elfie? Were you, were you a... Um one of those nasty netball players did you have white lion fever like did you get out there on the court <laughs> and you went from delightful elfie to evil elfie <laughs> yeah you bet i was a very aggressive goal defense i'm sorry to mm-hmm. everybody out there who it. i may I have harassed it. on the court yeah. anyway so this week australia's national netball team the diamonds have taken a stand against a sponsorship deal from gina reinhardt's mining giant Hancock prospecting. So the deal between Netball Australia and Hancock was actually announced last month. It's worth $15 million and that is set to continue until the end of 2025. It is a big investment for Netball Australia considering that they've had huge losses across the past couple of years, but the Diamonds have taken a stand against it. Um, They basically turned up to the opening game of the Constellation Cup. Uh, They were supposed to have uniforms that said Hancock prospecting on them, but the players had obviously opted for an old strip on the uniforms. So... There have been environmental concerns cited about having Hancock advertising on the uniforms. And to be fair, when you look back at Gina Reinhart's uh, track record on environmental claims and commentary, fair enough, because uh, I had a little bit of a Google on those news stories recently. And yeah, they're pretty shocking. Like there have been things in the past where she has said Things like students taking action on climate change is, quote, propaganda. Uh, She has denied that climate change is caused by men. There are several different instances of her talking to uh, schools and students and saying, do your own research on it. Because because they're better qualified than the atmospheric scientists. Yeah. um, Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, to be clear, Gina Reinhardt is not a coal miner. Iron ore is mostly her game. And 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 so she she's not what you might call a climate vandal or a, you know, directly in terms of what she's digging out of the ground. But because of all these things that she has said in the past, 
and also um uh, look it's 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 possibly not fair to draw this link but the netball girls have drawn this link uh, her late father lang hancock uh said some things that i certainly won't repeat uh, about first nations australians and you know this this was all concerning for the squad not least because uh on the current tour there's there's a player making her debut uh, Donnell Wallam, and she's an Indigenous player. So, look, as former Diamonds captain Shani Norda said, and I quote, um, we have always stood up for social justice. We have always been anti-gambling, no smoking. And there were other, and there are other avenues to source sponsorship. So, mm -hmm. Elfie, I just think this is fascinating because in sport, We've seen Israel Folau virtually kicked out of rugby for his homophobic posts. We saw something in the AFL just last week or the week before with the Essendon CEO appointed, then kicked out 24 hours later because everyone went, whoa, he's got links to this Melbourne church that has made similarly homophobic and other distasteful comments. And he also didn't fare so well in the Banking Royal Commission. They, they sort of said, how do you you know employ this bloke at all in the first place? So we have seen figureheads sponsorships, all sorts of things kicked out of sport for ethical reasons, but not, as far as I can recall, for environmental reasons. So this is a landmark. And, and today's news, just, just hot on the back of all of this, is that um, Netball Australia Chair Marina Go uh, has left the organisation. So oh, wow. Okay. perhaps she was the mastermind of the sponsorship. That wasn't clear in the story that I read, but uh, you can pretty much re regard her as a scalp, I believe. So player power um and 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 who said sport and politics don't mix they always have they always will be nice if they didn't have to but when you start sponsoring a really terrific sport that is followed by a really wide audience like neckball and you you know even though Gina Reinhart has of course uh sponsored the Olympic team so uh the Australian Olympic Committee has welcomed her sponsorship but netball took a stand and I salute them Yes. Yeah. Good for them, honestly. And I think that, you know, when we look at Australian sport as well, it's also inevitable that we have to talk about the climate change impact. And there are certain organizations and campaigns, like I know that the Pococks lead a organization called The Cool Down, which has basically amassed leaders in sport to talk about climate change, because ultimately, like, sport becomes unplayable at certain temperatures. Of course, sports people are going to want to talk about these things seriously and honestly. And to be fair as well, not consulting your players on what they have to wear, like at all, regardless of what it's representing, yeah. a little bit off, I would say. Indeed. All right. Now let's talk about the methane pledge. The Albanese <laughs> government. <laughs> I, I, love me I, I love methane pledges as much as you do. <laughs> pledge. It, it's it, it deserves billing as the methane pledge because methane's kind of the forgotten greenhouse gas isn't it yeah so let's talk about what the albanese government is doing and take the lead what's happening here well the, the methane uh pledge is uh was started by uh joe biden and 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 so america and the eu got together they took it to cop 26 and they just said hey look um let's uh try and reduce methane by 30 percent of 2020 levels by 2030 so by the end of this decade 
let's have a third less methane emissions than we had at the start of this decade. Now, the Morrison government said not, not interested in signing at COP26. Albo and friends have now indicated uh, interest in signing. We haven't actually put pen to paper yet. Um, but it's important. I mean, we know that methane, as I said, is is doesn't get doesn't get the uh, the press that CO two does, um, but it is a lot more powerful. It, I think it can uh, heat the atmosphere up something like eighty times more than CO two. Initially, it then um, the effect uh, stops quicker with methane. So there are good bits to methane and bad bits to methane. Um, but you know, it's it's caused a considerable amount of global warming so far um gee uh, you you've unearthed something here that says it's caused half a degree of global heating which is more than i would have thought as opposed to the 0.8 caused by co2 so good research by you Alfie, chucking that in the notes because we did know it was 1.3 degrees overall but i didn't realize the methane component was that high anyway long story short uh we probably need to look at methane much of which comes from agriculture as well as the coal and gas industries. Um, now, anytime you talk about getting rid of methane, the nationals uh, have a special kind of hissy fit. Uh, Barnaby Joyce a year or so ago uh, said that, you know, the only way to get rid of methane uh, would be to grab a rifle and go out and start shooting your cattle. Good on your Barnaby. And this week, the nationals have fired up in a similar way, but I don't want to give away everything in the uh, interview. So long story short, methane, we need to cut it down. Does that mean we need to cut cattle down? Is it bye-bye burgers? Well, I thought I would speak to a beef farmer to find out the answer to the, that and other questions. So earlier uh, this week, actually late last week, uh, the Albanese government gave strong indications that it would sign up to the methane pledge, which means... We're going to try and reduce Australia's methane emissions by around 30% of 2020 levels by the end of the decade. Uh, some predictable noises came out of some predictable areas, you might say. Uh, the nationals in particular kind of blew up. And just as they have done scare campaigns around things like, they're going to take your ute and things like that in the past when electric cars were on the table, they have gone, now the Aussie barbecue is under threat. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese wants to take away the backyard barbecue. Well, that sounds a little bit extreme, so I thought we'd better get a beef farmer on the phone. Rob McCreeth, you are that person, and we'll talk about uh, your farm in a moment. But, crucially, is the Aussie barbecue under threat? Yeah, hi, Anthony. Well, I think... Um... That's a very small thing to worry about. I'm really worried about the end of rugby league. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention AFL, it's all over. Life won't be worth living. Uh, October is a difficult time for sports lovers, but uh, these are difficult times uh, for uh, beef lovers, say the Nationals. Are they right? No, they're not right. Um, it's a big scare campaign. Um, but, you know, climate change is uh, caused by greenhouse gas emissions, methane is an important greenhouse gas. So if we're going to do something about climate change, we've got to do something about methane. And, um, you know, climate change is a massive threat to agriculture. It already is impacting um, in a very strong way, like just um, 
past few days we've had massive floods here in Tasmania, record-breaking floods. Been bad through Victoria and New South Wales as well. So uh, climate change is here and with us and having a big impact, and we've got to address it. Yeah, well said, Rob. Well said. And you know your property there, Shell Duck Farm, uh, in the Deloraine area of northern Tas. Uh, have you sort of been inundated, or have you managed to keep your your head above water? Well, um, yeah, a big chunk of the farm down on the creek flat uh, was covered in water. I was amazed how big an area went under. Luckily, the water gets away quite quickly here, and um, we've had a little bit of damage to fences, but. Um, we've been relatively lucky. Some other neighbours have had um, a lot more damage than us. So, um, you know, sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you're not. But it's had a big impact on the area. And we're, we've been cut off from the main road from town. It's been washed away. So all yes. that sort of stuff's going on. Well, there's so much going on. And we do appreciate your time on the Green Canary today. So let me ask this, this key question. Um, we do know that uh, emissions from cattle uh, account for something like 11% of Australia's uh, greenhouse emissions overall. Uh, they're a large component of our agricultural emissions. So what can farmers like you do? Uh, for example, I believe there are supplements and so on that you can add to the feed. But you tell me, what can farmers like yourself do who are running a herd of beef cattle to minimise those methane emissions? Yeah, well, farmers are doing a lot of things already. It's not just, um, oh, we better do something. Um, so um, you can certainly help things by being um, more efficient. And so um, it's the ruminants that, that give off methane. So that's cattle and sheep. And methane is produced in the in the rumen, which is one of the stomachs by the bacteria. So um, you, you don't want uh, to have too many passengers around. So you know, like a beef cow that has a dead calf, well, don't keep her for another year doing nothing because she's just emitting methane and not producing anything for you. So uh, we need to you know, get rid of those ones and um, bring in a new heifer instead. Be more efficient. Um, we can grow uh, pasture, productive long-term pasture with deep roots. And it's quite impressive how much car how much carbon you can put in the soil, like a degraded a degraded farm very, very run down if you plant productive pasture and that you can put a lot of carbon in the soil. So loads of people are getting into that. Um, we're planting trees. Trees are great, of course. Uh, a lot of tree planting going on. Uh, we've planted about 1,200 in the past two years here. And in Tasmania, the trees grow, grow like rockets. <laughs> um, and um, there are other exciting things going on with feed additives. So there's a native seaweed called asparagopsis that uh, when you feed that to cattle, it can reduce the methane production by up to 90%. And um, there's three companies in Australia that are um, farming that asparagopsis seaweed. Now one of them is called Sea Forest, they're in Tasmania. And um, they're uh, growing this seaweed um, on sea leases and, and also on, on land. And um, it's uh, becoming commercially it's going into commercial trials. There's also a, an artificial additive from Holland, which seems to work pretty well. They're using that in Brazil. So um, if we can just get the methane from cattle and sheep down, um, agriculture will be, will be in a great place um, in relation to, to carbon emissions. Right. So, you know, it, it seems to me that, that in summary, um, there are loads of things that, as you say, not to just that you can do, but that are already happening from responsible farmers. And, 
do you, do you, you must uh, I guess finally you must get a little bit angry when when um, the party that is supposed to represent people on the land like yourself um, just puts everything like this in the too hard basket. Well, they claim to represent farmers, but I think they gave up on that a long time ago when they started getting donations from the gas companies. You, you just look at the political donations registered, look at all the names of all the gas companies that, that fund they fund all the major parties, but the national party. It's in the, the gas industry's interest for farmers to object to the Global Methane Pledge. They want us to be bunging on the turn about it because it gives them more cover, but Methane from underground and bringing it up into the atmosphere, they've, they've got a major problem. They're causing so much climate change. So, um, you know, they really want us to be objecting where, um, yeah, you can just look at the influence of, of their political donations um, on the National Party. So the National Party gave up representing farms a long time. Mm. All right. Well, Rob McCreeth, uh, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I wish you luck down there on Shellduck Farm which I believe people can go and stay at and, and eat delicious produce from uh, if you go down to Tasmania. So uh, look out, might come your way one of these days, but for now, <laughs> thanks very much for talking to the Green Canary. No worries, Anthony. All right. Thank you so much again for that interview, Ant. So that was Rob McCreeth, who is a beef farmer from Tasmania. And I think that it is really important to start talking to farmers about these topics, especially because, you know, they're going to cop a lot of the discussion around this methane pledge, right? I came across a statistic earlier this week that said that 50% of Australia's methane actually comes from the agriculture industry. So it's not surprising. But as he mentioned, we also have to talk about natural gas. Like that is a huge issue. And do you remember a couple of weeks ago when that pipeline burst from Russia and they saw the biggest expulsion of methane from a natural gas pipeline in the ocean? Absolutely wild. And, you know, that is an industry that needs to be accountable for what it's releasing into good, the atmosphere. Good, good point by you and good point by Rob McCreeth who, who made that point as well. And, and thank you, Rob, for your time today. But as Rob said, and I, I actually learned so much in that interview, there are so many ways that uh, farmers can cut down on methane, whether it's simple stuff um, or planting trees, obviously, you know, cuts down on their whole carbon equation. But feed that you can give to cattle, you know, there are all sorts of things that they are doing and can do. And so they get so angry when they're misrepresented by the nationals because, um, yes, it would be terrific if everybody went vegetarian and we didn't need cattle, but that is not realistically going to happen in the world. But fortunately, we do have solutions to that. Rob made that really clear. And I should just thank um, Farmers for Climate Action, uh, which he's uh, one of, and who uh, provided that interview for us. They do great work. They have a bunch of farmers out there who are really articulate and who actually are at the coalface, which is a terrible analogy to use. <laughs> they are, the coalface. <laughs> the coalface of this <laughs> issue. So thanks, Farmers for Climate Action and Rob McCreef. All right, brilliant. Now let's talk about mulch. These are the little curiosity stories that Ant and I bring each other at the end of each week. Ant, a Living Planet report. Go yeah, for it's, it. It's more than a curiosity. It's 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 like depression. Um, yeah, this is actually genuinely really upsetting. I'm sorry in advance. Yeah, look, WWF uh, F Australia, the World Wildlife Fund, uh, 
yeah, they've just published a little report, the Living Planet Report, that uh, it should probably be called the Dying Planet Report. Uh, we do try to be optimists here at the Green Canary, but, oh, this ain't good. Between 1970 and 2018, so that's 48 years, um, global wildlife populations fell by an average of, drumroll, 69%. 69%. And, you know, they actually observed 32,000 species. So they've done a fair old sample, haven't they, Alfie? Yeah, yeah, it is pretty shocking. Uh, there are some even more shocking statistics, like populations of sharks and rays specifically have dropped by 71% worldwide over the past 50 years. Uh, they're saying that land use is still the biggest current threat to nature, but climate change is very quickly about to overtake that and WWF are stressing that there needs to be an urgent response to the loss of biodiversity but they're also stressing that it can be turned around so as much as this might be appalling news I think that it is just yet another alarm bell. Now we're about to get onto a really interesting biodiversity topic which we flagged at the top of the pod today but before we get there second little mulchy um David Pocock again. Yes, you cannot shut the ACT senator up. Uh, (laughs) Neither should you. He says good things and he does good things. Um, He's spoken out this week about the amount of uh, agricultural chemicals and pesticides uh, that are used to produce our food. Now, um, he doesn't have a concrete policy strategy. I don't mind when a politician does this selfie when they just start the convo. Seems to me that's what he's done this week. He's particularly, uh, you know, upset about uh, glyphosate, which is uh, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, which is a popular weed killer. Um, what have you What have you heard about this topic lately? Uh, so I've been. Is it actually pronounced glyphosate? I glyphosate, right? No. I've never said it out loud, but let's just assume. Anyway, I read a study about that this week. It is that active ingredient in Roundup. And this study said that even just a small dose of this stuff can actually strongly affect a bee's ability to navigate around the place because it reduces both their vision and memory. And then that can impact their ability to actually forage for food and then go back to their hive. And I listened to a fantastic Guardian podcast this week that was actually following on from their investigation into blueberry farming on the New South Wales North Coast, which we spoke about on the pod a couple of weeks ago. And basically this journalist was talking about how Australia's standards for pesticides seem to be so much lower than everywhere else in the world. There are things that we're using in our pesticides that have been outright banned in most other countries. It's pretty shocking when you listen to it. Uh, But again, yeah, Pocock has basically just said that he would like to see things like landholders being rewarded for improving the natural habitat, much like we were talking about in the cattle section back there. And he's also urged that the federal government needs to direct more money to Towards conservation to fill that gap between what they're currently offering to try and conserve species and that $1 billion that researchers are saying is actually needed to save species. So he, again, he's doing great work. He's using his platform and he's speaking about issues that I think are going to be coming up more and more in the months to come. Yeah, that's well said. And I'd just like to say that uh, glyphosate, glyphosate, look, <laughs> this, this, this is actually a fact. This is a rule. You may not know this, but when a scientific word passes 10 letters or longer, you can pronounce it however the hell you like. <laughs> 
Is that what they say? Is that in the rule book? Yeah, that's actually yeah. a rule book. Yeah. Fuck it. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And just another biodiversity story to round things out. We're going to be talking about lawns. So, and I found a new meta-analysis on the internet this week that found that manicured lawns are one of the biggest factors affecting insect decline in urban environments. So not only do lawns tend to lower the abundance of native insect species, they actually make a better home for pest species. So these researchers are basically saying a reduction in mowing frequency benefits insect biodiversity. And... This is something I have been thinking about so much this week. I was telling you before the pod, I have just been thinking about lawns for a good couple mm. of days now. Like mm. the amount of lawns that houses are just sitting on, that people just have sitting there. And like you said, they're completely barren environment. Uh, barren is the word. I mean, look, I mowed my lawn on the weekend, so guilty as charged here, but but um, it's only a little lawn. I mean, I think I think the greatest waste of space in urban Australia and anywhere in the world is the nature strip, as we call it. Yeah, that ridiculous bit of lawn between the footpath and the road. It should be veggie patches. It should be long native grasses. It should be shrubs uh, that yeah. flower that birds can eat on. Every nature strip in Australia should be turned into something terrific. And you know, and then you could say all right people have a bit of back lawn but they are barren environments and, and and you know it's just fascinating to to you know see as you put it the meta-analysis um that has pr proven that manicured lawns are one of the biggest factors affecting insect decline um you're gonna absolutely convince me to replant my back lawn now and my nature strip yeah, look, chuck some wildflower seeds in there. There's even been a push in the UK recently for people to just give up mowing their grass for wow. a good couple of months every year because it does make this very significant impact on the amount of insects that are able to hang out there. Insects, you know, you get birds. It it starts to flourish really quickly. And, you know, I'm never going to be a person who can necessarily afford to have a lawn, probably being somebody in their late 20s living in Sydney. But I would like to be able to recommend to others who may be sitting on them that you can have creative use of these spaces. That's very well said. And, you know, the sound of summer in the suburbs is to some extent the sound of lawnmowers buzzing on a Saturday morning. But wouldn't it be wonderful if, if it was the sound of bees buzzing on a yeah. Saturday morning? Yeah, absolutely. Very well put, Ant. All right. Well, that's enough of us buzzing for this week. Yeah. I reckon that is all we have time for on the pod. Thank you so much for joining us. So just before we head off, as always, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded. Thank you, Elfie. And I'd just like to remind people as ever to subscribe to our newsletter, which delivers your weekly green news in one friendly, accessible, informative, <laughs> analytical hit. It's all there. Oh, Elfie, if only there'd been something like that when you and I were growing up, we would have known so much more than we already know. Um, and perhaps some of the listeners would, go, would say that'd be useful. But anyway, um, hello at thegreencanary.co is how you subscribe to that newsletter. Um, we're also on social. We are at Green Canary Pod on Twitter. We are at Green Canary Media on Instagram. And we are at your eardrums next week on the Green Canary podcast.
Nice one. All right. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.